Right. Well, grab your Bibles and open up to Jonah. You might need to use the table of contents on this one. That's okay. That's why it's there. Jonah's in the Old Testament. It's a small book tucked among other small books. So if you find Daniel, then it's Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Again, you might just want to use your table of contents. It's a well-known story, the story of Jonah. A little hard to find, but it's well-known. And we're going to spend the next four weeks in this book, a one week per chapter. It's a short book, but it is so deep. It is not just a children's story about a guy getting swallowed by a whale, but it is a powerful story about the surprising mercy of God and how hard it is for proud and selfish people like Jonah or me or you to believe the gospel of grace. So I'm going to start by reading chapter 1. It's not that long. I'll just read the whole thing and we'll walk through it together and see what God has to say for us today. So here's Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, chapter one. Chapter one is all about disobedience. It's about disobedience, about a a guy who's disobedient to God, 
and how God responds to his disobedience. So I'll just warn you today, if you are a person who never disobeys God, then you just want to check out right now, okay? Don't get up, that'll probably be embarrassing, but if you just want to you know, look at your phone or, you know, just zone out. That's fine. If you're perfect today, you never disobey, you don't need this. But if you are someone who disobeys God, if you're like me or Jonah, and you from time to time, when God says do this, you say no, then you're going to want to listen to this story today. It's about disobedience. And to understand how, how big this disobedience is, you have to understand where we are in the Bible in, in this book. See, Jonah is found in a section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. They're not called minor because they're less important, just because they're shorter. He's in the middle of all these little prophetic books. Uh, And he's in the the middle of a bigger section of the Bible called the prophets. So you have the major prophets who wrote the big books, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then after that, you have the minor prophets. But this whole section is about the prophets. And the same thing happens in every one of these books. They begin, like Jonah begins, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. God has a message for the prophet. And so God calls Isaiah, for example. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. And what does Isaiah do? He takes the word of the Lord and he gives it to the recipients. That's what prophets do. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. And what does Jeremiah do? He receives the message from God and he delivers it to the people he's supposed to deliver it to. In all of these prophetic books, you find the same pattern happening every time. That's what prophets do. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet. The prophet receives the word of the Lord and gives it to the recipients he's supposed to deliver it to. But what does Jonah do? The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it. And Jonah says, no. When the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, Jonah receives a calling from God, a clear command. I mean, have you ever wondered in your own life, like, boy, if only in this situation God would just speak audibly to me. If only he would tell me what to do, then I would do it. Jonah gets that. God speaks audibly to Jonah. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no. Flat out, flagrant disobedience. And the rest of this chapter, we see God responding to disobedience. And we see him responding in two ways. The first one takes up most of the chapter. How does God respond to those who disobey? Well, first of all, God punishes those who disobey him. Let's look at the first two verses in this chapter before Jonah hijacks it with his disobedience. We see a message that God has given to Jonah. The message is against Nineveh. And he says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the message that God wants to give to Jonah is a message of judgment. He's saying Nineveh is an evil city. They've done evil and they're going to be destroyed. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but in chapter 3, Jonah eventually makes it to Nineveh. And we see the message that he gives there. In chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the message from God to Nineveh is, you have disobeyed, you have done evil, and you are going to be punished. Nineveh was a wicked city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was one of the superpowers of that day. And like superpowers always do, they'd use their power to exploit the poor, to oppress the weak, 
and they'd use their riches to fund a sinful lifestyle, and so they were an evil city. And God says, I'm going to destroy you, because that's what God does. He punishes evil. He punishes those who disobey him. But Jonah doesn't want to be a part of that. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh and share the message, so he says no, which is a big mistake. Because now Jonah has a target on his back. Right? God was going to punish the Ninevites because they had disobeyed, and now Jonah says no. So Jonah becomes one of those who disobeys God, which means that now God is going to punish him. So Jonah has one option, really. He tries to run away. He tries to run away. That's what he does in verse 3. He goes to Tarshish and gets on a ship. And so he goes, he goes to Joppa and gets on a ship that's headed to Tarshish. If you have a little geography, if you have one of those handy maps in the back of your Bible, you can see Nineveh was to the east of Israel where Jonah was. Tarshish was to the west. And so he's trying to go in the exact opposite direction that God has called him. But he's not just trying to run away from Nineveh. You see, he's trying to run away from God himself. Two times in these verses, it says that he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. At the beginning of verse 3, he says, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And at the end of that verse, away from the presence of the Lord. So he's not just trying to get away from the place he doesn't want to go. He's trying to get away from God. Because he knows the message God has given Nineveh is, you know, you disobeyed, I'm going to punish you. And now Jonah's disobeyed, and so he doesn't want to get punished. And so he tries to run. That's what we do, right? When we do something wrong, we try to run away, avoid punishment. I mean, kids, when, when, you, when you do something wrong, right, and you know that your parents are going to punish you, don't you have the instinct to hide? Maybe go hang out at a friend's house for a while, hide in your room, run away, hope that maybe they won't find you and you won't get punished for what you did? Adults, when you screw up at work, isn't your instinct to try to cover it up, hide it, make sure nobody finds out? And, and if the boss does know, then you try to avoid the boss? Because you know when you see the boss, you're going to get punished for what you did. Even my dog knows not to look at me when she's done something wrong. So Jonah runs because he knows that God punishes those who disobey, and he has disobeyed, so he's going to say, I'm out of here. Maybe he won't catch me. Maybe he won't find me. Does it work? Well, no. Verse 4, the Lord hurls a great wind on the sea. God knows where he is. See, Jonah does his best to hide. You notice he keeps going down. He goes down to Tarshish, then he goes down to the hold of the ship. He goes down uh, among the cargo. He, he hides among the baggage. He goes to sleep. Maybe if I'm just this really tiny person hiding among the baggage, not making any noise, just to sleep, maybe God won't notice me. God knows where he is. And he immediately begins to bring the punishment for his disobedience. This storm, this deadly storm, it threatens not only Jonah's life, but everybody on board. And the sailors start to freak out. And these are pagan sailors, right? These are not uh, Jewish sailors. These are, uh, they worship whatever gods. You know, they're just pagans. But they realize it's so desperate, they start to pray. In verse 5, it says, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. 
they're praying to the God of the sea, the God of the wind, the God of sailing, the God of whatever, asking, whoever's out there, please save us from this storm. Ironically, the only person who's not praying is the prophet of the one true God. And so the captain comes down to rebuke him. What are you doing? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he will give thought to us that we will not perish. Why is Jonah not praying? Well, he can't. He's trying to hide from God. To pray to God would be like putting a homing beacon on and say, God, here I am. You you, you know, I'm I'm trying to hide from you, but but I really need you now. He's trying to run away from God. He he, he can't pray to God. He's, He's hiding from God. If he were to pray to God, he would bring the punishment he's trying to avoid right on him. So he stays silent. He keeps trying to hide, but it doesn't work. In verse 7, the sailors have an idea. They say, let's cast lots. Now, this is a lot like drawing straws, something we might do today, or it's just some sort of random uh, distribution of things where the, the belief is that whoever gets the short straw, whoever gets the marked rock, uh, the, the specific lot, that's the person that God or the supernatural powers have determined is the problem, the loser. And so they do this. Maybe they take some rocks or things lying around and they put an X on one of them, throw them in a bag. Everybody draws one and Jonah is left with the one with the X. You can't hide from God. God knows where Jonah is. God knows what he's done. And now the sailors know too. It wasn't a great plan. It wasn't a great plan trying to run away from the God who created the sea by getting on a boat. That's what he tried to do. He realizes now that wasn't a smart plan, so the only thing left for him to do is to accept his punishment. In verse 11, they ask, what should we do to you? And he knows. He knows what God said to Nineveh. You disobeyed, you're going to get punished. He knows that he's disobeyed. He tried to run, it didn't work. He's in the crosshairs. And so he says, well, I guess you just got to throw me into the sea. And the sailors don't want to do that right away because they know that God punishes those who disobey him and they don't want to be guilty for throwing a guy overboard. So they try. They try really hard to row back to the land again, but they can't make it. And so they finally end up with this prayer where they say to God in verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're saying, we're going to kill this guy. Please don't punish us for that. We're just doing what we think you want us to do. We know you're a God who punishes disobedient people. We're not trying to be bad here. We just, we just think we're supposed to throw him over, so please don't blame us. And they do it. They throw him overboard, and it works. They throw Jonah in the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah disobeyed, now Jonah's dead, and the sea and the punishment have ceased. You ever wondered, what if the story stopped there? It could be a story, it could be a self-contained story right there. It would make a really great morality tale, like an Aesop's fable, something you tell your kids, make sure they grow up straight. We could call it the story of the disobedient prophets. Once upon a time, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah disobeyed, and because of that, he was thrown in the sea. 
So be a good little girl or boy, or God will hunt you down and kill you. Wouldn't that be a terrible story? And yet, if, if we only had the first 16 verses of this chapter, you could think that. Because all we see in this, in this chapter is God pursuing and punishing those who disobey him. And it's true that God does that. But it's also true that God has mercy on those who disobey him. That's the second response of God in this chapter. Yes, he punishes those who disobey, but he also has mercy on those who disobey. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah doesn't die. They threw him overboard in a raging storm, and he doesn't die. Instead, God rescues him from the sea by sending this giant fish to swallow him and to keep him alive for three days. It's incredible. And the incredible thing isn't so much that a giant fish comes and swallows Jonah to keep him alive. The incredible thing is that God has mercy on Jonah. I mean, God can do whatever he wants. He can bring a fish if he wants to. That's not the incredible thing. Why? Why would he have mercy on Jonah? That's the unbelievable thing. I mean, this book starts with God telling Jonah in no uncertain terms, go to Nineveh. Take this message to Nineveh. You're my prophet. And Jonah says, no. No, not going to do it. Blatant, flagrant disobedience. And God has mercy on him. What's going on? How do, these, how do these things work together? How can it be that the same God does both of these things? God punishes those who disobey. God has mercy on those who disobey. God punishes those who disobey. God doesn't punish those who disobey. How, how can the same God do both things? Does he punish those who disobey, or does he have mercy on those who disobey? Which God is the real God? Is the God in this book the, the God who hunts down people who disobey him, sends storms to wreck their ships, demands that they be thrown in the ocean for their sins? Or is he the God who sends a fish to save people who are drowning? Which God is he? Well, the answer, of course, is both. It's both. And, and there is a tension here. It's a tension that you find driving the whole storyline of the Bible. God is both the God who punishes the guilty and who forgives the guilty. If you turn to Exodus 34, you see this tension stated very clearly. So Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So Genesis, then Exodus, and Exodus 34. This is a scene with Moses and God, and Moses is on Mount Sinai having a conversation with God, and he asks God, show me your glory. And God says, tell you what I do, I'll put you in a cave, and I'll pass by, and I'll tell you my name. And when he says, I'll tell you my name, he means I'll tell you my character, my essential qualities, who I am deep down. In Exodus 34, starting in verse 5, we hear God declare his name. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You hear that same tension? Who is this God? Well, on the one hand, he's merciful. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He is the God who has mercy on those who disobey. But on the other hand, he will not clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. Same two characteristics we see in Jonah chapter 1. God is just. If you disobey, you will be punished. God is merciful. If you disobey, God will forgive you. They seem like diametrically opposed character qualities. And yet in Exodus 34, God says it about himself in the same breath. And in Jonah 1, we see both on display in the same chapter. God punishes those who disobey. God has mercy on those who disobey. How can this be? Flip back to Jonah. We see a hint of the solution in Jonah 1 itself. You see, when Jonah is on the boat, he's not the only person in danger. Every single person on that boat is in danger. They're all going to die. They're all caught in the wrath of God. They're all experiencing the punishment of God. Every single one of them. And so Jonah offers himself as a sacrifice for the crew. He says, throw me in and the sea will calm down. If I die and take the punishment, then God will show you mercy. And that's what happened. God punished Jonah and had mercy on the crew. One person offered himself to die as a substitute for the others. He took the punishment for the rest so that they could receive mercy. One man took the storm so the rest could get the calm. One man died that the rest could live. He was punished. They received mercy. That's what Jonah did on a small scale, and that's a picture of what Jesus did on a cosmic scale. So your question is, how can God punish those who disobey and at the same time have mercy on those who disobey? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one man who never disobeyed God. And because of that, he's the one man who never deserved God's punishment. But we do. We disobey all the time. It's only a matter of time until we face the storm that we deserve for our disobedience and have to pay for everything that we've done wrong. But the good news of the gospel, of course, is that Jesus took the storm for us. He didn't deserve to die. He's, he's, he's like Jonah, but he's better than Jonah. See, Jonah in that storm, he offered himself to die, but he died for himself. It was really his fault. But Jesus, 
Jesus didn't deserve the storm. Jesus says, it's not my fault, it's your fault. But I'll die for you anyway. Just throw me overboard, and I'll take your place. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He took the storm so that we could have the calm. He received mercy, or he, he received punishment that we might receive mercy. He died so we could live. That's what happened on the cross. Christ took the punishment for our sins. God laid all of our disobedience on Jesus. And he punished it all there, exhausting his punishment. So that now, everyone who has faith in Jesus no longer faces punishment for our disobedience, but receives mercy. The punishment is complete. The punishment is paid. All that's left is mercy. See, this is how God can be both uh, just... He's just, he's fair, he punishes disobedience, but he's also merciful, forgiving disobedience. He satisfies his justice by punishing sin in Jesus Christ on the cross, allowing him to show mercy to the rest of us. Which means, when you disobey, and I assume I'm talking to people who disobey, nobody's gotten up to leave yet, means when you disobey, you don't need to act like Jonah anymore. You don't need to be afraid of God's punishment and run away and try to hide because you don't want God to get you. The punishment's been satisfied in Jesus. Now, when you disobey, you can run towards God. Not away from him, but towards him. Because you know that all that's waiting for you there is his mercy. Do you believe that? Maybe I should say, can you believe that? Do you live like that? Do you live like that's true? Because I, I fear that we don't. When you disobey, are you still afraid? Are you still afraid that God is going to get you? Or do you believe that he wants to show you mercy? Think about your own life. Let's get specific. When you see, so I, I'm assuming you don't have audible voices from God telling you what to do, but we don't need to, right? Because we have his word. God speaks from his word. There's plenty of clear commands in scripture. And so when you hear a command in scripture like, do not be anxious about anything, or do not covet, or in your anger, do not sin, or avoid sexual immorality, you hear these commands, and you know what God wants you to do. And you don't do it. What do you do next? What you do next tells you everything about what you think of God. Whether you think he's a punishing God who's waiting to get you, or whether you think he's a merciful God who wants to forgive you. What do you do next? Jonah... After he disobeyed, he ran because he knew God disobeyed. He knew he was unworthy. He knew that if God found him, he would punish him, so he ran. And that's what I do sometimes. And I'll tell you, when I disobey God, I have a very strong desire not to be with God for a while. I want to run. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to meet with my life transformation group. I don't want to hang out with Christians. Why? Well, because I feel guilty. 
And I know that if I read the Bible or pray or hang out with Christians that I'm going to have to face that guilt. I'm going to have to admit I did something wrong. And frankly, I'll have to face, I'm afraid, maybe some punishment for what I did. So I try to run from God. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but can you relate to that? That's a common strategy, I think. When we fail God, when we disobey, we do things we know are wrong. We want to run from God. We want to hide. We avoid eye contact like my dog. Just, no, I'm not going to look at you. Pretend like we can somehow hide. Because we feel guilty. We feel afraid. And we think if we come into God's presence, he's just going to torch us. I better clean myself up first. I better take some time off. Let him cool down. And so we avoid the Bible, we avoid prayer, we avoid church, we avoid Christians. But if Jonah teaches us anything, it's that running from God is the dumbest single thing you can do. Not only will he always find you, but at the end of the day, the only thing you're keeping yourself from is his mercy. We run away trying to avoid punishment, but God isn't waiting to punish you. God is waiting for you to come back that he might forgive. So if you're a Christian today, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you accept that free gift, then there is no punishment left for you. None. Zitch. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. Jesus has already paid for all of your sins on the cross. That's why Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus which means you have nothing to run from anymore. You don't have to be afraid to get in the presence of God when you've disobeyed. You don't have to wait for him to cool off for a while. You don't have to do penance to earn your way back into his good favor. You're already in his good graces. He's not waiting to punish you. He's already punished your sins in Jesus. All that's left is mercy. Like the dad in the story of the prodigal son, he's just waiting for you to stumble home. He's going to welcome you. So the application today is simply simply this. When you disobey God, and let's just drop the joke, you will disobey God. When you disobey God, don't run away from Him. Run towards Him. When you sin, don't run away from His punishment. Don't don't, don't run away. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading the Bible. Don't, Don't let Satan trick you like that. Don't let him convince you that you're too big of a sinner, that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He could never want you back. Believe the gospel, that God loves you. And when you sin, run towards God. Run towards his mercy as fast as you can. As fast as you can. Even the second after you sin, the moment that conviction hits, at that moment, repent and run towards God, and he will forgive you and show you mercy. And if that sounds amazing to you, well, that's why we call it the good news. Yes, God punishes those who disobey him, but for the Christian, all punishment has been paid for by Jesus Christ, which means there's nothing left but mercy for you. So when you disobey, don't run away from God's punishment. Run towards his mercy as fast and as hard as you can. Father, thank you for that gift.
thank you for the last verse in chapter 1 of Jonah. It is not the morality tale of the disobedient prophets that you don't tell us to straighten up and fly right or you're going to torch us. But that the message of Scripture is consistently, always mercy. We are sinners. We are worse sinners than we ever imagined. But we are so dearly loved. Thank you for the gift of grace. And Father, help us today, tomorrow, every day as we keep disobeying to repent faster and sooner, quicker, turning back to you. We would like to disobey less and pray that you would work in our hearts to make us more obedient. But may we turn to you quickly and receive mercy every day in Jesus' name.